government is a military government which will rule with advice from certain eminent civilians in the country. I would like to emphasize immediately that this coup was not initiated by the armed forces merely to satisfy our selfish ends. This is man's inhumanity to man. So to me, because you are talking to me, that was a great justification for the coup of 1972. Father, take this ring. Pray for me that God may accept me as I am. This way is last way. begins at Wamasi, about 21 minutes drive from Kumasi in the Ashanti region of Ghana. In this town lived James Kudu Osekutu and his wife Ekwamenu. They were peasant farmers. After having their first born 17 months earlier by the name Victoria Yapukua, they were blessed with a second child on 23rd September 1931. His name will be called Ignatius Kutu Echampon. Echampon began his formal education at Roman Catholic Primary School at Trabum, barely three kilometers from Fidim. After three years at Trabum, his father wanted a city life for him, so he moved in to continue his education at St. Peter's Catholic School in Kumasi, then eventually to another Catholic middle school in Ejusu a sizable town barely 15 kilometers south of Kumasi. Finally, in 1945, he completed his middle school successfully. Having achieved the middle school living certificate, a champion started as a teacher. As a people teacher who was uncertified, he realized he could not build a career, so he had to further his education by enrolling at the Central College of Commerce at Agnosodro in the Central Region where he completed successfully in 1949 with GCE O-Level Certificate. Based on his exemplary attitude and impressive academic conditions, the principal of the school offered him a position as a tutor a day to his graduation. Teaching was a hobby for a champion. Eventually, he was made the vice principal of the college, even though he was rising too fast. He still saw the need to acquire more skills, and so he took lessons in shorthand writing. He had gone to commercial school, and so he was very good at typing. And so when, uh, even when he was a recruit, he was always at the office doing it. But later on, he boldly told uh, the, the officer that it was not typing that he came to uh, join the army. He wanted to be a full-time soldier. And so the, 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 the senior officers became a bit worried. And so the, uh, the uh, and he was clever in the, in the army. So that forced him to learn hard so that he would not remain there to be a tapis. 
Young A. Champon had many plans, but of all the beautiful plans he had, he was yet to make plans for one, a woman. And so in 1951, he married his first wife, a trader, the beautiful Comfort Adrosa. He met with the, um, the traditional marriage. They were both young and it was arranged between the two families. My, they were very young. My mother was the first wife, Madame Adrosa. They had three children out of that marriage. Rose, Janet, and me, Elizabeth. He was lucky in finding good paying jobs. The erratic movement from one job to another within four years meant something. Once he got himself into the uh, Ghana army in 1953, he fell settled and never changed house again. The anchor of his life was yet to come. One day, in a conversation with his Boston friend from his hometown, Lawrence Kakari, whose early ambition was to be a soldier right from his infancy, shared with the champion the excitement and benefits of being in the army. Finally, in October 1953, after going through the cycles of life, the champion had now settled on a career choice. He enlisted in the Gold Coast Army, which will later be known as the Ghana Army. One would say, this was where his journey to hell and paradise began. Ichampon began his military journey at the recruitment barracks in Kumasi in 1953. Ignatius Kutui Champon successfully completed the basic military training at the barracks in Kumasi. He was posted to the barracks in Tamale and later to Accra, where, with his educational background, he was placed to teach at the Bermaka Primary School. A man who valued education continuously pursued his dream. So at night and weekend, he was always studying for the senior high school certification, the general certificate of education advanced level. He passed at the end. Meanwhile, he rose through the ranks from last couple in 1955 to couple in August following year. He was promoted to second lieutenant in May 1957. In 1958, five years after his enlistment and a year after the nation's independence, he undertook officer training course at Special Training School Rose at Teshi in Accra. This was to prepare him for advanced military studies. The Rose was established in 1953, the very year a champion enlisted in the army. After enrolling in March 1958, a champion completed the six-month training later in September and was commissioned as Lieutenant in November, the same year with identification number GH-77, the number confirmed him as the 77th officer to be enrolled in the Ghana Army. There were 17 cadets in this group which were designated as course 10. Ghanaian cadets in this course included J.A. Kabori, C.R. Techi Mason, Emmanuel A. Eskin, Paka S.K. Yami, El Kweku and George Darkon. The other cadets were from other West African countries and among the seven or so Nigerians was Olusangu Obasangu. There were about eight of them who were selected after their gross training to go to England to have their officers training the second phase. 
See, at that time, after training three months or six months at the Rose, then you go for further training to become full lieutenant. So this was his in 1959. Interestingly, the commemorative board on the walls of the office of the commandant of the Ghana Military Academy lists 16 cadets of course 10 with the name of Ignatius Kutui Champon Mason. Meanwhile, through the findings of Professor Balfour Jimendria, author of the book Life and Times of Ghana's Head of State, he revealed that in an interview with the late General Emmanuel Esken, he confirmed he was in the same course with a champion. A champion and another person called Hadash, I think they had a problem. The problem, I'm not sure precisely what it was, but they were, I think, penned out to be dismissed a few months to completing the program abroad. And from what I discovered, there was an intervention by the then Prime Minister, Kwame Nkrumah, who was looking forward for uh, Ghana's Republic in 1960 for him to become president. He was very anxious to uh, have Ghanaians as senior officers of the military. So to dismiss two of them who are about to finish their training was not acceptable to Nkrumah. So I think the intervention of Nkrumah at the time is again what saved uh, the champion from being dismissed from the roles. Because if he had been dismissed, then we have lost the whole career path in the armed forces. Soon after graduating from Roast, a and his compatriot left for the UK for additional training at the Mouse Officer Cadet Training School at Aldershot. At Aldershot, a champion met with Obasanjo again and cemented a friendship with his future Nigerian leader. To run off his training at Aldershot, a champion was put on a field observation contingent attached to a British battalion in the Wine Hospital, West Germany. The whole group that went to Aldershot returned to Ghana together. As expected of all newly commissioned officers, he was to experience mass life by living in Accra for some time before being posted to the 1st Infantry Brigade in Takwari to become one of the pioneering senior officers of Ghana Armed Forces. A champion's assignment with the battalion in Takwari was short-lived. As it is expected of soldiers, he was selected the following year in 1960 to join the first Ghanaian contingent of the United Nations Peacekeeping Force in Belgium, Congo, renamed Congo Kinshasa, later Zayi, and presently Democratic Republic of Congo DRC. His selection gave him the unique opportunity as a young officer to test his military and leadership skills. The Congo crisis broke out in July 1960. Barely a month after the country gained independence, the war intensified for five years before ending in November 1965. In recognition for their efforts in peacekeeping missions, some soldiers were honored and others received high commendations. Among them, was Captain Kuturi Champon, who served as a regimental signal officer for the 2nd Infantry Battalion. His feat in Congo was described as exemplary and even legendary by some of his fellow soldiers in the field. One of them, Charles Tichimensen, recalled a mystifying incident which reinforced Champon's well-known preponderance for peaceful resolution of conflict and aversion to violence and blood. You know, he was commanding a platoon. The platoon is just about eight uh, soldiers going on a uh, patrol. And uh, in the Congo, you know, 
know, the, the Civil War during the 60s. And I think somehow they found themselves surrounded by the Kalanjis, who were the Congolese uh, military, we call them bandits. And somehow, through his own charm and the way uh, he has this power of persuasion, he got their leader to engage him in conversation through which they decided to uh, surrender to him. So with his eight men, he was able to lead 200 Kalanjis to the uh, camp where they were disarmed and were properly treated as, uh, as uh, you know, captives. So a champion's ability to engage and convince was well known amongst his, uh, his peers. That is an undisputed fact. A champion was a skilled leader and that his capacity for leadership and negotiation in saving the lives of his troops unparalleled. As much as he was doing extremely well on his mission outside Ghana, back home, things were not going all well with his own family. Because of his frequent travels, this, however, took a heavy toll on his young family each time he traveled. Comfort Adrasa had to take the children back to Ichuma Tichiman. In the process, Ichampon and Comfort drifted apart. Finally, after his return to Ghana in November 1962 from his second assignment with the United Nations, he and Comfort reached a mutual agreement and they divorced. After a period, Ichampon found and dated the beautiful Faustina Akosye Chuma Abwaje from Yusuta Kwaman in the Ashanti region. The pretty looking nurse worked at Kulebu Teaching Hospital. She was a beauty queen who won the 1958 Ghana Nursing Beauty Contest. In April 1963, the two married. With her, she had Tony and Isaac. For the next several years, a champion will be assigned important command duties. As part of his future duties, he will undertake a number of advanced military officers' course. One of such courses took him to the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College in Fort Leavenworth in Kansas, USA. When he fought February 1966, Nkrumah's government was overrun by the National Liberation Council, NRC. Although a champion was not part of the coup plotters, but he was appointed by the new regime to head the Western Regional Committee of Administration. Faye Champon heading the Western Regional Administration was an opportunity to cut his teeth as a political administrator and he developed a taste for national politics. It is no doubt a champion was a special talent. He was called to a foreboding duty in Fairway Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean. He was appointed to a panel of military judges constituted by the Commonwealth to try mutinous on the island. Among the 20 military officers drawn from a number of Commonwealth countries to constitute the tribunal were Colonel Yakubu Danjuma of Nigeria and Lieutenant Ignatius Kutue Champon from Ghana. The five-man long trial ended in March 1971 without bloodshed even though most rebels were guilty. The trial in the Trinidad and Tobago, you know, for, for the uh, death sentence, you have to have unanimity among the panel. And the champion was a lone voter against imposing the death penalty. As a result, no one was executed. There were eight soldiers who were on trial. 
And uh, in fact, one of them rose to become one of the top prominent politicians later in the country. Interestingly, the presence of the West Africans at the tribunal was old. Yakubu Janjuma, who chaired the tribunal, had earlier been implicated in a coup. A champion will succeed in a bloodless coup a year later. After his five-month military tribunal, Lieutenant Ignatius Kutui Champon returned to Ghana in March 1971, 23 months after the military withdrew for the national protocol space. Hopes were high for the nation to sustain the new democratic era under Kofi Abrifer Buzia's Progress Party government. Although military intelligence stayed alert and monitored a few distrustful characters, the soldiers were in the main and the no serious cloud of doubt about derailing the Second Republic as it happened to the First Republic under President Kwame Nkrumah. However, all was not well with the nation as the economy was in dire straits, a fall in the global market price of cocoa. The mainstay of the economy hit the country to gravely dislocate the national budget. Buzia's government inherited a dying economy and therefore had a task of arresting the situation by introducing some harsh economic measures. The first measure was to ensure the successful implementation of the government agenda by reorganizing the civil service in its own image to take full control of the state machinery. The Prime Minister's confidence in the civil service was low. He did not believe people in high strategic public positions will be loyal to carry out his policies. Hundreds were laid off in what became known as Apollo 587. Apollo 587 was a decision or policy of the Buzia government to dismiss a certain number of civil servants when he became prime minister. And I think it affected, uh, proportionally speaking, it affected more of uh, every uh, brethren than others only because they were more dominant in the public service. And of course, it became one of the sore points in Ghanaian politics because uh, they didn't take it kindly and uh, I think it was part of the reason there were so many who close again Buzia by uh, soldiers from that region. Although the retrenchment exercise did not target any particular ethnic group, but overall, the Yewa group were affected most. This made people to attribute it to the 1969 elections where Buzia's party did not win a single seat in Volta region. Another policy that infuriated some Ghanaians and some African countries was the policy of dialogue with apartheid South Africa. Aside the many political concerns, the government had a heavy debt of about $300 million at the time. The economy was sinking too fast. In the midst of economic meltdown, Prime Minister Kofi Abrifobuzia's health was failing as well. Shortly after his radio and television address on the economy, on 31 December 1971, Kofi Abrifobuzia embarked on what would be his final trip as a Prime Minister to England for medical attention. Although there are many schools of thought regarding what really happened before the 1972 coup, some believe the coup was inevitable. One of such is a former intelligence operative officer who spoke off camera. According to him, there was a call for a bloody coup by a particular group within the army. Upon hearing this intelligence, Ichampon decided 
to step in to avoid what would have been a bloodbath. There were many opportunities for him as head of state to have executed some soldiers who attempted to assassinate, but none was uh, executed. Finally, on 13 January 1972, barely a month after the unprecedented devaluation of the city in a tactical move, a champion took over the reins of power through bloodless coup. A day before the coup, he was then the commander of the Southern uh, Brigade, and uh, he was able to change uh, the guards and the broadcasting and the prime minister's office and the president's office and all, which was detected by the intelligence at the time. And uh, they found that something was wrong. They called him, uh, and he said, look, no, nothing is wrong. I'm just trying to beef up security. Because at that time, you know, the prime minister had left for London for many treatment. He said, there's nothing. I'm just trying to make sure there's tighter security. Not knowing that the next day, we're really going to overthrow them. Now, what a lot of people didn't know was that the original date for the coup was the 15th of January. But it leaked. The intelligence system got to know about it. Now, if you got to know about the people planning the coup, would you find out who were planning the coup? And in the investigations, they realized that the man who would be in the position to form the coup was the man who was planning the coup. Therefore, there was nothing to And they didn't know how widespread it was. And so, they had to. Like the girl says, when you see, if you are in the sea, you are swimming and the wave, a big wave is coming, what you do is you go under. So that you are not struck away. That is why we had a bloodless with the dark in nineteen seventy. In the early hours of 13 January 1972, the nation woke up to a new dawn, a new voice, and a new leader. As Lieutenant Ignatius Kutue Champon announced on Radio Ghana that he was the new head of state of the Republic. Good morning, fellow Ghanaians. This is Lieutenant I.K.A. Champon. I bring you good tidings. Bruce's hypocrisy has been detected. We in the armed forces have today taken over government from Buzia and his ruling Progress Party. With immediate effect, the constitution is withdrawn. Parliament is dissolved. The Progress Party and all political parties are banned. Dr. Kofi Abrifa Buzia is removed from office. The leader of the position is dismissed. All members of government and parliament should report at the nearest police station for their own safety. Senior military officers responsible for internal security operations in the regions who take over government property at the residences. Please stay by your radios for further announcements. God be with you. Incidentally, a champion had announced his rank as Lieutenant Colonel, not knowing that just a day before his coup, the Chief of Defense Staff had authorized his promotion to Colonel. It was at the studio that a colleague prompted him of his new rank. Air Vice Marshal General Ashley Larson is the only surviving member of a Champions NRC cabinet of 1972, who later became his Chief of Defense Staff CDS. As seen on the screen, 
He was sitting at the right-hand side of General Champon when he gave reasons for his bloodless coup. The government is a military government which will rule with advice from certain eminent civilians in the country. I would like to emphasize immediately that this coup was not initiated by the armed forces merely to satisfy our selfish ends. As I said in my earlier broadcasts, the takeover was occasioned principally by the hypocrisy of the Buzia regime coupled with the inefficient management by that regime of our economy. The malpractices which existed before the 1966 coup are still with us and there was no prospect of seeing an end of them. Matters got steadily worse, especially in the economic field, and it became obvious that the Bouzia government had no clue as to how to arrest the position. In simple terms, we are almost like a nation at war without an external enemy. The National Redemption Council has therefore decided to place the economy of Ghana on a war footing. We are soldiers, we know one way of dealing with crisis situations, and that is action. This part of Ghana attending the National Defense Force in India. And um, so, I cannot say for sure that um, all what he said concerning what Buzia was doing actually did take place. But I know before I left for India that Buzia's policy was beginning to affect some of our benefits in the military, which most officers didn't like. And like a champion repeated this as one of the reasons why he also made his school. He named the National Redemption Council, NRC, as a new government under his leadership. On the first day, he mentioned five names as members of his council. On the second day, he expanded it to ten. And on the fifth day, he added two more. Well, the NRC government, when it was formed, had a champion as the uh, head of government, and then they had his three accomplices, namely Lieutenant General Ago, no, Major Ago, Major Bar of the 5th Battalion, Tony Sellerman of the Reconnaissance Squadron Regiment, and um, those were the three officers who were part of the coup. And then I came in as the chief of defense staff. As a champion sought to avoid counter-coups, some loyalists of the dethroned Progress Party government also planned to organize a resistance. They included Ministers Reginald Al Aponsa, KG Jose Bunsu, Chief SD Dumbo, and the General Secretary of the Progress Party, BD Darocha. The idea was to mobilize party faithfuls for the in Accra and Kumasi. But unfortunately, 
it failed because the main avenues for public communication at the time were already under the control of the military. To stage a coup or to be part of a coup, by the time once you hear, you've heard it with your ears, you're already guilty. The day before the coup, I stood before the adjutant and told him we were staging a coup the following day. And then I want the keys to the armory. And then I have briefed all the various groups in my in the unit what they were to do on that day. You know, and Agbo, Major Agbo, he was supposed to take the, over the airport. I was communicating with him, sending reinforcements to him. And various things. And the, the gentleman was to cut the telephone lines. I took him to uh, uh, T Junction, Labadi T Junction. I took the first gentleman there. And uh, when I spoke to him, it was becoming redder and redder every time. And I was afraid it was going to collapse on my, on my <laughs> in the car. And I brought him back. He said, Joel, this one I can't do it, please. I said, my, my friend, he's not, he's not, he's not here to, to, to say that he wants to take part in the coup. I will advise you to get involved because the day you say you want to get involved in the, in the coup, that day you sign your death warrant. The Champon Glado School comes with a lot of unanswered questions. For instance, how was it possible that he was able to plan and execute a Glado School at the blind side of the intelligence community? So on the actual day, the officer was asked to go and take over the Flagstaff house. The officer was nowhere to be found. So a Champon, uh, at that time he was a kennel. Colonel Champon and, and uh, Major Bedu, they came to Reiki because I was virtually controlling the, the operation from my end. Then they said, then Champon came and said, oh, Joe, uh, Flat has, has not been taken. The officer will come for it. Then I said, oh, don't worry, I will send a, a company through the uh, 37. In those days, it, it used to be, it was not a runabout. So they send a, some, a company through there, and I'll go through the switchback group. So by the time the company arrived, I alone, with my driver, with one ferret, we, we entered Flagstaff House. Then I jumped out of the, out, out of the ferret, and I said, shouting. I said, no matter who you are, I want you to come to where I'm standing. Put your arms on the right and lay down. And I'm counting 10. By the time I finish counting 10, if you're not here, you have yourself to blame. And you know, you remember, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So let the booming from Captain Chiwaku. And there was a booming. And they obeyed. Shortly after becoming head of state, a champion was met with an immediate challenge to bring back Dr. Kwame Nkrumah from self-exile. Some CPP lawyer is told a champion has stitched the coup to bring him back, but these thought had to be countered. So the NL released an official statement to the Daily Graphic, which was published in early March 1972, to set a record with a screaming line, coup not from Nkrumah. Barely two months after, in 
Nkrumah passed away on 27th April 1972 in Bucharest, Romania. Even though it was a sad event, but Nkrumah's death came with a challenge and a test for Ghana's foreign relations, particularly with West African neighbors because of the aliens' compliance order by the Buzia administration. Neighboring countries had strong air feeling and resented Ghanaians for maltreating their citizens. In the context of African unity, which was the mantra for Nkrumah's government, Buzia's policy to expel the undocumented uh, aliens in the country uh, was uh, more or less seen uh, with uh, serious reservations by most progressive Africans. And uh, I think that uh, Champon played a role in that. Because as a young officer, he was sent to the Flower border with his soldiers to keep order at the border crossing for these departing so-called aliens. Uh, what he witnessed, what he saw there, became part of a burden on him that may have even influenced him to organize that group. Because the experiences at the border was so scandalous, he couldn't just take it. The Guinean president, Amar Secretary, who made Nkrumah honorary co-president in Guinea, was so angry that after Nkrumah's death, he didn't want to release the body of Ghanaians because he felt Nkrumah was betrayed by his own people. In spite of his difficult stance, a champion in a man of honor had earlier sent Nkrumah's son, Francis Nkrumah, to Romania to bring back his alien father home for further treatment. Upon his return, he informed a champion that his father was not in good condition to travel. Therefore, his father's wish was for his body to be buried in his hometown. As a visionary leader, he introduced the principles of redemption, which outlines six-point revolutionary agenda aimed at making Ghana a transformed modern nation. They included the following. One, one nation, one people, one destiny. Two, manpower development and deployment. Three, revolutionary discipline. Four, principle of self-reliance. Five, service to the people. And finally, number six, mobilization of the spiritual, intellectual, and willpower of the people. This revolutionary chapter is not only a guide to those who lead our nation in government, in business, in thought, and in culture, but also constitutes the basic tenets that must inspire every man, woman, and child in Ghana. A champion's patriotic spirit was truly unique. He once told the media not to tarnish the image of Ghana for personal glory. Uh, we are not saying that those who um, contribute articles to foreign press are not patriotic. We are not saying that. At least you can earn some foreign exchange when you go on holidays go to a nice hotel and enjoy yourself. What we are saying is that don't destroy your country. You are free to write whatever you want. You can criticize the government, then we will set up. But don't destroy. See, when you know what you are writing is wrong, it, is, it isn't true and it's meant to subvert, to create disaffection, to create confusion in the country, then you are doing more harm than good. Because if the country collapses, you are within it. It doesn't collapse for me or for the colleagues. All of us are inside. He simply wanted Ghanaians to believe in the country. Therefore, he needed to condition the minds of the people towards patriotism. Part of the uh, Charter of Redemption was to revise the national anthem to be more patriotic. If you know 
you realize that the immediate post independence uh, national anthem was written by Philip Beho. Uh, but it started with the line, Lift high the flag of Ghana. A champion's version that still stands today is the one that starts with God bless our homeland, Ghana. Another major concern of the NRC government was how they were going to manage Ghana's debt, which was $300 million then, a huge amount at the time. The NRC decided to find ways to stall, if not completely avoid such payment. Therefore, it segmented the approaches to debt obligations into two. First was to rearrange the payment of those found to be legitimate, and secondly, to identify debt that was illegitimate. Further, as part of his plans to strengthen the Ghanaian city, Ichampon nullified the Buzia's devaluation in a public broadcast. He ordered the Bank of Ghana to deal at the rate of one new city equals 78 US cents. In other words, the regime had revalued by 42%. Though this action strengthened the city superficially to give temporary respite to the pricing of some locally produced items. After outlining the principles of the NRC, his government decided to scrutinize a number of contracts that were signed by the Buzi administration. In doing so, some contracts were classified illegal. However, a champion in a public broadcast on February 5 announced the immediate repudiation of some $94.4 million of Ghana's debt which amounted to a third of the total debts. The action was indeed radical. The first time the nation stood against foreign creditors in such a public way, for radicals or nationalists, this was a refreshing policy in economic relations. The debt repudiation announcement was carried with a screaming headline by Daily Graphic in a pointed and blunt account language expression, Yetria, meaning we won't pay if you look at how he was able to stand up against the IMF and the other international monetary institutions, the fact that he was the only government, or his was the only government, that never borrowed a penny from anywhere, from implementing today, he is the only leader who never borrowed. The fact that he put the weight of the state behind indigenous entrepreneurs, hoping that they will become the centers of development in their various industries for the nation. If you look at all these kind of uh, initiatives, not to mention Operation Feel Yourself and the other things that he did, then you cannot help but admire this person in terms of his vision for the country. As part of his policies on building Ghanaian businesses, he champions NRC government fully supported Ghanaians who showed promise in entrepreneurship, particularly those were the established businesses. The thought of a champion's aim of developing Ghanaian entrepreneurs was not just a dream, but it was a reality. He introduced policies including tax holidays, sovereign guarantees, and other incentives that led to the emergence of a number of burdened local entrepreneurs. Among some local entrepreneurs to benefit from a champion's vision was Edward Osebwachi, whose watching mattress became a foremost manufacturer of Jilaxi mattresses in West Africa. Wachi put on the first private modern hospital in Cantonment, which will later be years later and turned into a police hospital by the
Everyone is PNDC military regime. Another major businessman to emerge was Benjamin Aponsan Mesa, popularly known as B.A. Mesa, who established the International Tobacco Ghana Limited that produced the Rotman's king-sized cigarettes. Also impressive as an entrepreneur was Joshua Kwabnasian, who in 1973 opened the largest plant in West Africa. Sian's brewery produced the Tata beer for the local market and exported Maltics, a soft drink to nearly all other West African countries. In 1974, Ichampon went to Kofrodio to inaugurate the first intravenous infusion company in the country. It was established by Samuel Christian Apprenti in partnership with a Swiss investor. In the late 1960s, Apprenti Salt Industries, Pambra Salt Industries Limited, and Vacuum Salt Product Company were producing not only to the local market, but was also exporting to the rest of West Africa. Car assembling also gained prominence in the economy as two entrepreneurs got a full backing of a champion's regime. A champion always had a soft spot for women. He believed in his heart that they possessed superior entrepreneurial spirit and therefore saw the need to empower them. And so in 1973, one of his aides, Samuel K. Danson, led a team to conduct a research which concluded that women were better at loan repayment and also had better multiplying effect with loans. This convinced a champion to grant women access to loans for businesses. Wives of military officers were not exempted from this wave of women empowerment. Women rose to prominent entrepreneurs during his regime. As a result, people started to spread gossips about womanizing at the corridors of power. Women who were driving BMW Golf produced by Kowus were ridiculed that they exchanged their buttocks for cars, which became so popular in the Ghanaian Akan language for Tobago Golf. One popular policy of the Champions government was Operation Feed Yourself. This initiative allowed Ghanaians to feed themselves without importing food. Nobody has ever done it like that before. Up to today, nobody has succeeded in doing what he did. Because Ghana exported food for the first time in thousands of tons. And we have never exported food since then. He had a belief that uh, we could because he had just he had done come from for Dinamonwet Staff College in the US. And incidentally, this is a military academy on the highest one of the highest institutions in the world. Some of the people who have been there, including General, the Frank General, Setobin, and former CDS, uh, and there, it is, I can, I can tell you that the course content is about someone doing his master's and he passed. That is how come he has PSC after his name, Pastor of College. Not many military officers have that. But that is just to give you the flavor of how he got the idea of 
generation of fetus. It says in Kansas, he realized that most of the year, most part of the year, it's uh, winter, winter or winter type of uh, weather. Yet they were able to grow wheat. It was one of the important wheat growing states in the US. So he asked himself, we have the sun all year. We have rains that we could do around us and do something with, except that we have rice. If we are able to develop some uh, irrigation to support agriculture, we can do a lot. That is how he told me he got the idea of operating feed yourself. Another was operation feed your industry. Through these operations, Ghana succeeded in clearing $117 million out of $180 million debt that NLC inherited from the Buzia administration. On public housing, landlords at the time took advantage of the housing shortage to demand exorbitant rental prices. The NLC decided to find a solution that was considered strategic. Kenoi Champon decreed through a press conference the reduction of rent which began on 1st February 1973. Further, it was part of his housing strategy to build state houses across the country. This plan began with the establishment of the Bank for Housing and Construction BHC to provide financial backbone to the development of housing for Ghanaians. In Accra, the Dunsman project which began with the construction of 1,000 houses was envisaged to be the largest public housing in West Africa. Also introduced were the housing estate in Teshinungwa, the development of Jolo, North Legon, and East Legon residential areas. He also knew water was an essential commodity. To improve water supply, the Ghana Water and Sewage Corporation launched a giant dam project in 1977, the Wager Waterworks. This reservoir was designed to provide a crown metropolitan area with enough water for the next 40 years, estimated to cost 20 million cities, equivalent to $20 million at the time. This was a joint venture between the Champions government and the World Bank. In Kumasi, 200 acres of land was acquired at Borkrub near the airport for development into a first-class residential area, Aken to Accra's airport residential area. As part of his long-term plan for industrialization, Akosumbu Dam has started flagging its inadequacy to cater for the growing population. Kenei Champon authorized the tendering in 1976 for the construction of the second hydro project on the southern end of the Water Lake. In the area of education, a champion set up the Jobo Committee in 1972 to review the structure and content of education. Among the recommendations from the committee included delineating the boundaries of kindergarten, primary, junior secondary school, and lower senior upper senior secondary schools. He also built the Efiokobi and Pimgel Senior High School at Trabum in the Ashanti region. So the education policy continued very well. We tried at the second stage to try to reduce the depth of the secondary schools and all. 
a champion respected traditional authorities. He believed getting close to them would get him closer to the people, and so he always graced his presence at various traditional events. He was even honored in one of such events. Sport was another area of well-being. To improve sport generally, the existing stadiums were refurbished at a new Kanishi Sport Complex, which would later be known as Azuma Nelson Sport Complex, was built in Accra. And the champions regime, Ghana became the first African country to win the African Cup for the third time and to keep it for good. Again in 1975, David Quarter Poison, known to many as DK Poison, won Ghana's first World Boxing Championship by beating Rubin Olivares to become World Boxing Council's featherweight in California, USA. A champion authorized the SMC to buy him a brand new car and also to build a house for him at Teshinungwa Estate. He presented the National Honor of Grand Medal and an amount of 100,000 cities equivalent of $87,000 at the time. On foreign policy, a champion always maintained neutral position. This enabled him to reach both the Eastern and Western Bloc countries, even though Bouzia's policy of neglect had almost frozen Ghana's relations with the Eastern Bloc. But a champion managed to make amends with them. In no time, some leaders began to show solidarity by visiting Accra. As a Pan-Africanist, he continuously promoted his self-reliance program to the rest of the African countries, so they can also be dependent solely on themselves instead of foreign donors. By 1975, deteriorating socio-economic conditions and popular disenchantment was ruffling the National Redemption Council, NLC. The regime's weakness and increasing ineptitude were badly exposing the Ghana Armed Forces as a whole to public riot. In the absence of political position, public pressure came primarily from civil society groups. A champion abruptly dissolved the NLC on 9th October 1975. In place of the NLC, Kenway Champion constituted the Supreme Military Council, SMC, as the highest administrative and legislative body, retaining the position of head of state and getting promoted to the rank of a general. A champion was under intense pressure, not only from the civilian sector, but from within the armed forces, because the NRC excluded the service commanders. It was just a champion and some colonels and majors. The service commanders who were generals and commanding the Navy, the Army and the Air Force were not included. So they were threatening some kind of severe or dire consequences if the changes were not made. So he changed it from NRC to SMC, bringing into the government all the service commanders. So that was a tactical move to kind of uh, uh, to, to, to stop a potential that was coming from the This move by General will lead him to his ultimate death. July 5, 1978, his CDS, 
and friend Frederick Akofo and his colleagues sprung a surprise on January Champon, SMC chairman, who also doubled as Minister of Defense. At about 8.30 a.m., the door to his office opened. Without notice, Lieutenant General Frederick Ekofo and his CDS entered, followed by Army Commander Major General Odate Walton, then the Navy Commander, then the Air Force Commander, and the Border Guards Commander, all in uniform. At this time, he still had no idea what was going on. He therefore asked, is this an invasion? Nobody laughed. They were looking at him. They didn't salute him, as protocol demanded. And there came the surprise. Walton pulled a small piece of paper and placed it in front of the general to sign. General Champon read through and saw that was his resignation. At this time, he knew it was no more a joke. It was a mutiny. Initially, he decided not to sign, but Walton insisted he would sign. Upon realizing he was trapped, he took a deep breath and signed. Without a single shot fired, the Champon's bodyguards were disarmed and taken prisoners. Lieutenant General Fred Akofo becomes the new head of state of SMC2. He accused General Champon of many things. According to political historian Uber Yahoo Asamoa, as listed in the book Life and Times of Ignatius Kutui Champon, some of the allegations included vesting executive power in himself, thus enabling him to ignore collective decisions, sharing favors on favorite military officers, appointing eight and others of doubtful competence, and many more. It is important to note that of all the many allegations against the champion, none of the charges pinpointed any particular corruption or misappropriation of funds, as it was popular allegations prior to his overthrow. June 4, 1979. Against the backdrop of an ongoing trial of Jerry Rollins, his friends from the Free African Movement led a successful coup to overthrow General Akufo and his SMC2 government. Rollins was indeed rescued from custody to lead the Armed Forces Revolutionary Council, AFRC, which was formed to run the country. Akufu inherited a bad situation. You see, he could have waited for a champion to sort it out or to be withdrawn if uh, that was going to be the case. He inherited a very bad situation. The country was in a turmoil. And when he inherited, he was not quick to find a solution by, of course, he came up with the idea of organizing elections for things to happen. And the young soldiers led by Rory said, no, we have to clear you guys before we even do the elections. So he came at the wrong time to a wrong place. So in the end, himself and the former friend he betrayed and all the colleagues in that regime, unfortunately, had to pay with their lives. This was the military. We are not talking about chicken boys here. Midnight, I got a call. Do not ask who is speaking. Tomorrow, you are the words of the, the speaker. Though they were this word, tomorrow, 
Some people are going to face fire war. Get ready to prepare them. So I sat in the hall there until about 5.30 a.m. A whole lot of soldiers came. We surrounded the building. And then they were marching him. I was in the church, inside the church. We were marching him. So I got out and met the soldiers at the entrance and the facilities. He took his ring. And this was his last word, Father, take this ring, pray for me, that God may accept me as I am. This was his last word.